So, tell me, is there anything you haven't lied about in your CV? Um... And we know exactly why you left your last job. Oh, I see, um... Um, would you say you are a people person or quite antisocial? Uh, I'd say I was, uh, uh... Don't worry, it's not an interrogation, it's Careers Talk and I'm Kerry Eustace and we're here to help you, really. This week we're exploring the sweaty palm experience of an interview. But what else do you need to know to breeze your way from the anxious pre-interview wait in reception to the employed loveliness of your new desk? We're joined later by the brilliant interview guru Rowan Manahan to find out how it's done. Also this week, dear Julian has some tips for anyone who keeps making it to the final round, only to be dumped for another applicant. But first, Harriet Minter and Nancy Groves are here with the news roundup. The big thing in the news this week has been the student protests, Mm. which we've been following avidly. And I'm actually going to talk about kind of the repercussions of the student protests, because this week the British Medical Association released an announcement warning all medical students that if they go on these protests, they have to make very sure that they don't get into any sort of trouble with the police, because that will be held against them when they come to apply for their doctor's licence. And basically saying that if you have any sort of criminal record you've been in any trouble with the police that that's going to go on your history, you might be considered an inappropriate person to be a doctor. And so they've put this warning out to all medical students and told them to be really, really careful. But if you do go, make sure that you stay with the quiet people at the back and that you're not, you know, getting, not getting engaged in all the, (laughs) exactly, scaling of roofs. But it did make me think that actually what happens if you do find yourself in a position with a kind of criminal record and you're looking for a job. And so I just found some tips that... I think quite useful. So I mean, first one is obviously don't lie when you're filling it in. If you have something, or even if you're not sure, but you think you might have something that your future employer should be alerted to, tell them because you're in a much better position that way than if they found out about it later. And the other thing is when it comes up in interview, you have to try and be positive about it. So you have to try and say, yes, this happened, but this is what I've learned from it. And this is where I am now. So try and think of the things that have you've learnt and have shaped you and how that has moved you on in your career and whatever you do do not launch into a tirade about how you were right and the police were wrong or try and convince the interviewer of your innocence because it won't work. Nancy what's your story you've got a bit of fees. Yeah well it's kind of connected to what Harriet was talking about we all know that the students were out in force this week because they were protesting not only about the rise in fees but the real spending cuts that are going to face universities. We ran a live Q&A on Wednesday about using your uni career service and one of the things that came up in this we asked our panel whether they anticipate that the spending cuts will affect the provision of careers advice at universities and their response was that it's definitely a cause of concern. Um, University administrations will be looking at which departments and services are most heavily subscribed or visited by students. So the message that's come out is it's going to be a case of use it or lose it, really. There's never been more of a reason to visit your uni career service. So really get in there, find out what's out for you in in terms of careers advice. And it is a positive that's come out of the discussion too. Laura Hook from City University said it's really never too early to visit. You can go in your first year, but also it's never too late. So just use it or lose it. That's the message that came out. Thanks very much. Um, My story is about the non-grad ad agency. So this week, the famous advertising agency BMB has uh, said that it's rebranding its sort of talent scouting scheme as the non-graduate graduate recruitment scheme. So it's opening its doors to people that haven't got a degree, basically, budding advertising execs that haven't studied advertising at university. Um, And 
it, Trevor Beatty is the sort of the ad man behind this move, and he's he's famous for the Wonder Bra and the French Connection campaign. So he knows a good PR stunt, this guy. But the agency has said that this is a timely response to the proposed. Um, fee hikes and that they're kind of widening the opportunities and options for people that won't have a degree and they kind of want to lead the way and in, in employers opening their doors but they've also said that it's about improving the diversity of the sector's workforce because it currently recruits on quite a narrow pool of talent there's you know there's a certain sort of people and you know there's Greg Dyke's really famous comment that the sector's hideously white and they sort of echoed that in this story as well um, and there was a great sort of quote They said, for a business that relies on insight and understanding of regular people and popular culture, this is not only unfair, but seems illogical too. So for all the non-grads out there, it looks like there are going to be more opportunities in the media and a degree isn't going to be as essential as it was previously. So I thought this was quite an interesting campaign. That's quite interesting because I think it's going back to where advertising started. Because although it's always been a profession, if you previously wanted to be a copywriter or an art director, that side of it... It was more about whether you had the skill for it, whether you had the natural talent to be clever with words or draw beautiful pictures, and not where you've gone to university and where you've done your art degree. Think of Don Draper. Yes. Coming from nothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Clearly inspired by that. Thanks both. Now, is there a hidden secret in that pre-interview handshake which could help you? Dear Julian has some thoughts. So there's a problem being faced by most graduates these days, which is that they're going into the workplace fired up, educated, ready to get on with work, but there are no jobs for them. And I really feel the pain of this situation for most people because there's nothing worse than being in your early 20s, having a belly full of passion and energy and not being able to expend it anywhere. You're not being given the opportunity. And it it can really knock your confidence when you haven't had the experience to build your confidence up and your confidence being knocked with every rejection letter. And so the letter I've had today is, it's a lot to do with how do I break that cycle of rejection? And is there some secret handshake that I don't know about? Because this reader, this letter is from someone who always comes number two in interviews. I know that issue. I came number two once for a job. I've never been more furious in my entire life. And it's not a great feeling because you know that you're brilliant and you know that you can do a job really well. So my advice to you really is this. As we're working at the moment during a recession and there aren't that many jobs around, you have got to try and find a way to harness your energy, your passion, your enthusiasm for work by creating something for yourself and create something that is lining up with the industry that you want to work for so that by the time you do get to apply for a job or you get to an interview, you can show your passion, your engagement, your determination to succeed to your prospective employers. So for example, in my industry, now if I were employing a new writer, I would absolutely be blown away by someone who was already writing their own blog. So for example, I think it's fantastic that someone like Perez Hilton created his own blog out of sheer frustration of not getting the right jobs in the magazine industry and just thinking, I'm going to tell my story in this way. And he created something unique You absolutely are not doing this for financial gain because the reality is that, you know, even the really successful blogs are not worth that much money. But, you know, there's, for example, there's lots of fashion blogs at the moment where people are blogging about brilliant things that they've bought or assaulting shoppers outside shops and getting them to hold up their sort of haul, if you like. Finding like a unique angle into stuff I find really inspiring when a job becomes available, much more inclined to give it to someone that's done something like that. 
rather than someone that's just sat around filling out applications for the last couple of years. What I want to see is that determination to succeed. You know, but it's not just a blog that you could do. It might be a podcast. It might be that you set up a charitable project in your local area. I just want to see some initiative. I want to see someone who is not acting like a victim, even though they have every right to feel like a victim. To sum up, I'd say take the ball by the horns and show some initiative by creating your own destiny rather than becoming a victim. That was Julian Lindley, Creative Director at Bauer. Now, interviews have been a hot topic on the careers site this month. Our blog post, The Psychology of Interview Success and Questions to Ask at Interview, have been getting thousands of hits. We're hoping that this is a sign of a busy job market, but how can you fully live up to the promise of your glittering CV when it comes to the interview stage? Our next guest, Rowan Manahan, founder of Career Management Consultancy Fortify Services and author of The Ultimate CV, is on the line now with some success secrets. Hello, Rowan. Well, hi, Kerry. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining us. Um, can we start off by having a bit of a chat about the Q&A that you took part in earlier this month um, about acing your interview? What were the trends and what are the key themes coming through? The kinds of questions that come through are ex- extraordinarily consistent. People are always worried about what they're wearing. They're always worried about how to introduce themselves. They're always worried about how to talk about you know, negatives or weaknesses in their, in, their, in their performance and so forth. Really, you know, stock interview questions, number one, two, and three kind of thing. And I guess what, what's really going on here is it's indicative that people, until it's absolutely in their face, people really don't give any structured thought to... How am I going to go out there and talk about myself? We, we, we use the, the, the language of, of Hollywood sometimes in talking about this. Every budding uh, screenwriter, every budding director out there has an elevator pitch or maybe two elevator pitches honed and practiced for the day when they're in an elevator somewhere and they meet Steven Spielberg and they go, Mr. Spielberg, let me just tell you about my amazing story and it's Jaws meets the Manchurian Candidate or <laughs> whatever it might be. They're always ready for that possibility of, of a moment because obviously that's the business they're in. More conventional hunters for jobs tend not to have that kind of readiness level. And unless you're in an arena where you're constantly out there talking about yourself and networking and having to introduce yourself and talk about the kind of person you are, I guess you just don't have this lexicon, uh, you know, front of mind and, and, and tip of tongue. Do you think that's something that maybe people should have prepared then? Just something to think about? Well, it, it, it's a good question. And, and I suppose the amount of work that it takes to put something like that together uh, will vary from individual to individual and, and, and according to the kind of, of, of work that one does. But what I wrote many years ago, I, d- I did a book where I kind of encompassed the entire thought of, of, of career management. And I remember the blurb on the back was that job hunting is for dummies and that the smart people are career hunting and career managing as they go. And therefore, if something dreadful should happen to you in your career, you have a, a really good CV in the top drawer with all of your latest accomplishments and contributions, and it's right up to the minute. You have a good deal of thought done about you know, the kinds of organizations you'd like to work with. Maybe you've been nurturing some relationships in your network that will give you an in with the Google, the BT, the whomever it might be. And as such, you're primed and you're, and you're ready to go. Well, let, let's move on to our five steps with that in mind. In terms of research, that's one of our five steps. And how much preparation is really enough and how much preparation would somebody like that do? An immense amount of preparation is enough. <laughs> and, and, and my reasoning for that is very simple. 
if there's a position advertised and there are other people aware of it and going for it, you have to assume that that position is the dream ticket, oh my God, I won the lottery job for somebody who's applying for it. They have been waiting for that vacancy to arise. They have been positioning themselves. They have been researching. They have been prepping. They are absolutely aware of the disposition of all of the major players in the, in, the, in the field, maybe even more narrowly within the organization. You're now frantically playing catch-up on that, getting ready for an interview that's happening in a day, a week, or a month from now. So there's one problem with this, and I remember a great quote from Mitchell Kapoor who said, trying to find information on the Internet is like trying to take a, a drink of water from an open fire hydrant. Where do you stop, I suppose, is the problem, rather than where do you start? Because there's so much of information freely available on, on, on most organizations now. If you walk into an organization now with that kind of information so freely available to you and do the kind of the cliched, what is it you guys do here anyway, <laughs> kind of questioning in an interview, if you're doing that, it's game over before you even begin. Let's let's move on to mindset. What's the ideal frame of mind being for an interview? I mean, should you be calm? Is nervous energy good? What would you say? I think calm is always healthier because no matter how well prepared you are, you do need to be able to think in the interview room. They will hit you with the oddball question. They will hit you with something out of left field that requires you to, to deviate from what you had thought about and perhaps meticulously prepared in terms of your, your structured answering and so forth. That being said, I, I think uh, a degree of butterflies and collywobbles in, in the tummy is good because that's indicative that your whole body, you know, mind and spirit is taking this process seriously and you're recognizing that there's a lot at stake here. If that becomes paralyzing, obviously, that's a disaster. And I've seen people literally run completely dry. That's clearly not, not no good to anybody. I, I suppose the old advice to actors, isn't it? Butterflies in your stomach are all very well. You've just got to make them fly in formation. Um, and, and in order to do that, I guess that's about being confident that you know who you are, what you have to offer, and that means you have to know what they need. Okay, so what about making a connection? I mean, how can you build a rapport with your interviewer, and how important is that? It'll depend on the nature of the interview. Clearly, if you're, if you're looking for a recruitment company to put you forward, that's a tick-box exercise. They want simple, you know, mostly intellectual reassurance. They're not aware of the, of the disposition and the, kind of the, the, you know, the psychological makeup of the people who will be interviewing you. All they're looking for is, does he hit the boxes? Can I earn commission off this person quickly? That's more about being, I suppose, matter of fact. But once you're actually talking to people that you will be working with, line management and maybe their bosses as well, then your personality is a huge factor. Um, you know, the interview, distill it all the way down, it's going to come down to three questions. It's are you able, are you willing, and will you fit in? That first one is easily measured because obviously we can, we can look at your history, we can look at your track record, we can look at how you've contributed elsewhere, whether that be at the academic level or whether that be uh, in, at, at a professional level. The willingness piece, is, again, is easily measured and the enthusiasm because that will be demonstrable in terms of the way you're, you're demonstrably taking the process seriously and you're demonstrably prepared for it and you're demonstrably confident going in on, on, on that basis. The last one is, is a huge factor. You know, people will be disincluded for really basic hygiene factors, that, and, and they don't even realize it. And scuffed shoes or, or you know, a run in your, in your tights is a ridiculous reason to be, to be disqualified from a process, but it is nevertheless 
It happens, and it happens all the time. So the rapport piece, I think you just have to put yourself out there and say, hello, I'm Rowan. This is who I am. This is what I am, and this is how I behave. And, and I, you know, I, I like the look of your organization. I hope you like the look of me. <laughs> Let's move on to questions now. And what sort of questions would you ask Rowan, you know, when you get to that killer question stage of the interview? Well, there's a good one. For me, there are a couple of very fundamental questions that tell me an awful lot about the candidate. And they're very basic questions. Uh, one of them would be, nice to meet you. I've got a sense of you from having read your curriculum vitae. Take me down through that quickly, please, and, and, and give me a sense of the person behind the pages. So it's basically, tell me about yourself. Now, I've noticed that a huge number of candidates don't really take that question very seriously. And as such, I'm looking for, for, for simple, simple indicators of preparation, professionalism, readiness, and confidence. Now, that one, I'll give you a concrete example. I asked that question at an interview a couple of weeks ago for a very senior PA job, and candidate number two came in, and she started reciting, and I think it was about eight minutes, it might have been just over eight minutes, and basically recited her CV. Now, she was clearly not someone who was going to be able to give quick, concise answers back to the managing director. It was a woefully inappropriate delivery. Another one would be honing in on, on negativity. What am I going to discover about you when you've been working here six months and I'm not going to like? A, a sneaky version of the, of, the, of the what's your biggest weakness question is, if I gave you a £5,000 signing uh, bonus, which was in the form of, of, of a training bonus for yourself, and you were able to go out there and do personal development, not technical stuff, but personal development, what would you spend it on? Now, those are all asking the same thing, which is, okay, I'm going to lift up the rock and see what crawls out from underneath it. The candidate who addresses what the question is about, which is, do you know who you are and, and, and what you're made of and how you impact on those around you? Do you understand how you're wired? Um, how did you come by this information? More importantly, now that you know this, what, what remedial action have you taken on it? What, what approaches are you taking to fix whatever this, this chink in your armor might be? A candidate who's willing to address that in a confident manner, that's a reflective candidate. That's a candidate who's willing to stop and work with other people. And what about a question that, you know, when you get to the end, so is there anything you want to ask us? Can you think of one that's really impressed you? There was one that I, I, I heard some years back, and which I've been recommending for clients that they, that they, would, they would take a, a version of, because I think it's an extraordinarily useful question. If you sit there as the candidate and say, I've got a, you know, thank you so much for your time, I've got a real flavor for, for the organization and, and for the job, can I ask you one final thing, you know, Mr. Potential Boss or Ms. Potential Boss? To you, what is the difference between someone who will come in and do this job well and, and be you know, solidly in the middle of the bell curve as a performer in this job and somebody who will do this job in a way that is just phenomenal? What's the difference between good and great in this job? Now, I think that is a candidate who's very serious about this role and is, and is wondering about the culture of the organization and is projecting themselves into that, into that organization already. And I think it's also very useful from your perspective as a job hunter because all too often organizations haven't really tamped down precisely what they're looking for. And they're in a kind of a, Asher, we'll know what it looks like when, when, you know, when we see it mode when they're interviewing. You ask that question, and that, to a certain extent, separates the wheat from the chaff in terms of the interviewers, as, 
as well, because that's a very interesting dialogue that you've just got going there with that one single question. I think it's an immensely useful one. Thank you so much for that, Rowan. It might have just been five tips, but I feel we've got like acres of advice there. So I hope you'll come back and chat to us again sometime. A pleasure. Anytime, Kerry. There was lots of stuff that you could put into practice there, wasn't there? I really loved his tip about the question that you could ask, you know, sort of what they envisaged the being an, being excellent in the role was. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all know the questions that are going to come up. But as Rowan said, it's amazing how often we still don't have an answer prepared for them. Yeah, and just don't recite your entire CV. <laughs> Say something <laughs> different, like that PA. So, from interview secrets to the job's top ten now, Nancy and Harriet are here with a chart full of whizzy roles in new media. Zooming into the countdown at ten, it's a new media officer for English Touring Opera. And at number nine, we've an editor for Time Out Abu Dhabi. It's a digital officer at Shakespeare's Globe at eight. While at seven, Netta Porte are looking for an email marketing manager. At six, the Fabsham House Group needs an art editor. And at five, 33 Limited need a digital project manager. It's a web developer for Bosworth & Co at four. And at three, the bookseller is looking for a junior sub-editor. One from the top at two, we've a public affairs manager for the Internet Advertising Bureau. But flying away with the number one slot this week, it's Head of Content at Red Bull. Before we go, here's what we've got coming up on the site next week. On Monday the 29th, we've got an open thread on non-graduate job seeking, following on from your story about Trevor Beatty. On Tuesday, we've got a great Q&A on routes into insurance, or risk as it's just been rebranded by the professional body that works in it. On Wednesday, um, the 1st of December, um, we've got the next in our journalism series of Q&As on arts journalism this time. All that's left to say is thanks very much to our guests Rowan Manahan and the studio team Harriet Minter and Nancy Groves. Careers Talk was produced by Sarah Cudden. I'm Kerry Eustace and until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.